um, and tell us his great testimony. And then we're going to pray for the sick. We're going to continue to worship, and uh, we'll move to the rest of our service. Thanks, John. Uh, most of you know that myself and Donette have uh, been praying for the sick for about seven years. We were everyday Christians, nothing special. Going to church on Sunday was about it, and we just felt there's got to be more. And the Holy Spirit started putting compassion in our heart to, to pray for the sick. We didn't know anything about that. We didn't have any expectations. But we felt like the Lord was saying, figure it out. So we took the verse in Mark 16:15 that these signs shall follow anyone who believes. Yeah. They shall lay their hands upon the sick, and the sick shall recover. Similar in James 5:15. So we just stood on those two verses, and we stepped out to start praying for the sick. And we started seeing some really amazing turnarounds in people's lives. And I've told a few here of, of cancer stories of people who we've prayed for who had all the scans, all the blood tests scheduled for surgery, and bang, came down for prayer, and they had the surgery, and it was gone. So we've seen that happen. This is a little bit of a different story to encourage those of you who are on the bubble of really wanting to pray for the sick but wondering, oh, do I have an anointing, and how do you do it? We were told by some friends that, that we knew they had a son in high school who had cancer. And it was, uh, it was a very aggressive cancer that had been in his bones, and the prognosis was not good. He was probably going to have to have his leg cut off, and uh, it had spread into the lungs. So we knew that they were more of a Russian background, uh, Jewish-Russian background, not Christians. But we offered to come over and pray. So we went over and prayed. And we talked about our healing ministry and about Jesus and some of the testimonies that we've seen. And we prayed for their son. And they let us stay about an hour. And we were, you know, we left there just feeling like, you know, we stepped out. And that's all God asks us to do. We, we don't shoot lightning from our fingertips. We, we just open a ray of hope for him to come in yeah. and work by the Holy Spirit right. of God. I love that song. It says, Hope Restored. And then he... Yeah. You have to have hope when you're sick that God can and will come through for you. If every thought is fear and I'm going to die and I'm going to miss my kids, you're not giving God even that kernel and mustard seed of faith to come in and work his miracles. So we really try to go out and plant hope in people. That it, It's not always going to be bad news. You need to believe in God. So we didn't expect to be called back by this family, and they called us back and asked us to come in and pray again. He had gone in, and we went over to their house, and uh, it was very difficult because I didn't know what to say. We had already told them all about Jesus. We had already told them about our ministry. And we weren't expecting to convert them all to Christ. I didn't know what to say. It was one of the first times in my life I didn't know what to say. <laughs> and so the, the young man's name was David. Okay, let me get this right. A lawyer who did not know what to say. What to say. Wow. So and I just prayed. I was sitting there praying, Lord, we've got to leave here in ten minutes. And I have absolutely no idea how to approach this. And I thought... The thought came into my mind, print out a psalm of David for healing. And the young man's name is David. Be an icebreaker. So we went over to their house, and we, I took two psalms of healing from David, and we sat down again. They said, you know, a funny thing happened. They thought they were going to have to uh, amputate his leg and do some other things, and they still may, but the cancer seems to have stopped growing. So that was the first ray of hope that they had, is the cancer, since the last time you were here, the cancer stopped growing. But it's, the bones may still all have to be removed. And they believe it's in his lungs. So we sat down and we prayed for him. And we talked about King David. And they didn't know that. Dad got really refreshed by that. He went and got a Torah that was in Russian. And he brought it out. He showed us, me his Torah in Russian. And how he knew about King David. And we had a great conversation. And we're there about an hour and a half. And everybody was happy. And it was not uncomfortable at all. And 
were coming and, and giving them hope. And in that time, I told a story of how God talks to us in different ways. If we're not used to how he talks, we may not hear him as well, but he's talking. And I just told a story that when we were starting out in healing ministry, I had asked God about three specific questions on should we continue this healing ministry, should we lay on hands on people. And for a month, I was waking up at 4.40 in the morning. And I thought, that's really strange, 4.40 almost three times a week. And I looked up every verse in the Bible that had chapter 440, and in Luke 440, it was as the sun went down on the Sabbath, they brought all their sick to Jesus. He laid their hands on them and healed them all. And I thought, wow, Holy Spirit, you are funny. In the way, and that's happened to me a couple times, and I just wanted to share that to them, let them know God's talking to them. So we get the news back after the surgery that they were able to save his leg, and it was just a miracle, but they still thought he had cancer in his lung. So could we come and pray one more time? So we went over to his house and had a medical bed laid out in the living room. And he was in good spirits and, and we're just talking and finding out how it was going. And, and he was trying to reuse his leg and get used to it because of all the bone and tissue that was removed. And uh, he said, Mr. Meredith, I want to tell you something that happened to me. He said, after you told me that story about 440, he said, you know, my, my favorite number has always been 62. And he said, I went out to a, a taco shop that day and... The charge was $6.20. And he said, I thought that was kind of funny. And then we went to the drugstore, and it was $62. He said, that happened about four more times before my surgery. And I felt like God was talking to me. So I went, and I got my dad's Torah, and I came, and I looked at page 62. He said it was a psalm of David for healing. (laughs) And he said that gave me so much hope. That God was talking to me. And he said, I felt like when I was in the hospital that, that, that God, I, I don't know him that well, but I felt like he was with me. So the last we heard was they went after the tumor in the lung and with a round of chemotherapy and it almost killed him. He had an allergic reaction and they said we can't give you chemotherapy. So it looked, it looked very dire. He was home and the parents were very concerned that that was going to be it. So we hadn't heard for three or four weeks. Uh, and so... Last week, I went to the gym, and I walk around the corner, and bang, there's David. And he's just got one crutch, and he looks great. And I'm like, floored. And I said, David, what's going on? He goes, Mr. Meredith, he says, I'm fine. I'm healed, completely healed. And I said, (laughs) yeah. And I just said, praise God, David. I mean, praise God, that's all I can think to say. I said, are, are you going to have to limp all your life so the limp should go away? And I said, well, what about the cancer in the lungs? He said, it's all gone. It's all gone, man. That's awesome. Great testimony, Les. Why don't you stay down here and pray for the sick with me? And, uh, uh, you know, when Jesus went to church, he uh, was really upset because they were doing everything, everything else other than praying and praying for the sick and praising. Um, and so he ran everybody out. Then all the sick came to him, and he started to heal them. And then all the children started praising God, and all the religious people got mad. And um, love to meet you after the service. I'll stay right down here, and if you want to come down and say hi, that would be awesome. We are finishing up a series uh, this morning called Too Hot to Handle. Uh, a while back, the Lord spoke to my heart about uh, courageously addressing the current issues of our day because they matter to you. Because you work with, go to school with, live with, brush shoulders with people. And these conversations, these topics come up 
that sometimes are really intimidating or we don't really know what God thinks about these things or how we can communicate these things intelligently and compassionately to people. Our goal is to build bridges, not barriers. Picket signs don't build bridges. They build barriers. So we need to learn how as the body of Christ to not compromise truth, but at the same time not um, unnecessarily repel people who Jesus is trying to save. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay, so we're not compromising anything. But we are trying to be more like Jesus. It's amazing to me, Jesus, God in the flesh, holiness himself, and prostitutes and alcoholics and even tax collectors. If you're a tax collector, forgive me, but you know what the Bible says about those tax collectors way back then. They actually liked being with him. And they were transformed in his presence. So we need to learn how to do that. So we've taken on some really light topics over the last few weeks, like abortion and gay marriage and suicide and evolution. So I thought I would lighten it up a little bit today and talk about race and war. Now, I like what Martin Luther said. Uh, you guys know who Martin Luther was, the, monk, the Catholic monk that started the Protestant Revolution. He said, if you preach the gospel in all aspects with the exception of the issues which deal specifically with your time, you are not preaching the gospel at all. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us today to be more like Jesus. So why now how do race and war go together? Race and war, especially right now in our, our country, share the attributes of violence, division, conflict, divisiveness, and hate. And so, you know, you think about the civil war in our nation and the fight over slavery and the things that, the the conflict this brings. And right now it is really, really intense in in our nation. So how do we respond to these things? Well, unlike about 90% of what you read on Facebook, I'd like to start there. Um, We've got to be godly on Facebook as much as we are one face-to-face, right? When I read some Facebook posts as a pastor, I just cringe because our, 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 our reputation as the church is what creates access for influence. And fighting and combating and name-calling is just... It just ruins our reputation, and it shuts down our influence. So I'm going to talk about three building blocks this morning that I think will help us get to a better place. What do we do about race, and as it bleeds over into violence and conflict, and we're going to talk about war and military as well today. What do we do? Number one, I believe this is where we need to start. We need to respect the individual. The Bible says this in Genesis chapter 1 which is the next slide, Genesis chapter 1. Let's read this out loud together. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This applies to those in authority and those under authority, under authority, black, white, yellow, and green. I mean, I think we all need to start singing that song again. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. They're precious in his sight. 
Jesus loves the little children of the world. I mean, that's a little ditty, but it is profound. God hates division. I mean, he hates division. Satan loves it. He is the divider. He divided man and God in the very beginning, and he's dividing man and man ever since. He hates division, and he hates oppression. All through the Bible, God speaks out against oppression. Whether it's economic oppression, racial oppression, political oppression. And whether our wrongs, we need to do everything we can to make them right. But I'll tell you what else he hates. He hates people who stir up strife. I mean, you can read that in the book of Proverbs. He says, cast out the scoffer and strife will cease. I doubt the spirit of anarchy and rebellion and violence that we see in the streets right now is really as big as it's being purported to be. Like, for instance, in Ferguson, the majority of the protesters were bussed in. They came in from other cities. All the violence uh, that happened down there was not from citizens of Ferguson. They loved their city. They wanted unity. They wanted peace. And so you have these agitators that come in. And you know there are some race baiters, right? These that literally, and I can't tell you inside information because I don't want to talk smack, but I know one in particular who, if I said his name, you would know, literally will not come into towns to stand up there and stir up uh, the, the racial rhetoric unless he has paid a certain amount of money. This is a business, and, it's, and, it's, and it, uh, it, God hates it. I think it's a travesty that there are those who have used the recent conflicts with police as a platform for race. It's driving a deep wedge into our country where we have made so much progress over the last 50 or 60 years. And our leadership is throwing gasoline rather than water on it. And the media has done a huge disservice by reporting some killings but not others. I mean, if you take... If you take all of the good things that our law enforcement has done throughout our nation. And then you take some of the abuses, the disparity would be just insurmountable good that our law enforcement officers have done for us. Before I go further with that, let me say a few things about racism since we're right here in the heart of it. Racism is real. I know it. I have experienced it firsthand. I remember when I was, uh, there was a, 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 what do you call it, a a black and a a black guy and a white guy that were going to get married, interracial marriage. And they wanted me to marry him. I'm like, that is awesome. I love you guys. Let's do this. So the parents called me up, the mother and the stepfather, right here in San Diego County. And we'd like to come to your home and meet with you. I said, oh, that's wonderful. We're going to plan the wedding together. This is going to be great. Come on up. So they come on up, they sit in my living room, I'm sitting on the couch, they're sitting on the couch there, and all of a sudden they go into this, I didn't know where they were going with it. I thought we were going to talk about the wedding, and they're telling me about, the, about, about history and culture and where the United States came from. And the more they talked, the more it sounded like Aryan, white race kind of speech. And I thought, this is weird. Why are they talking about that? And then I, then I you know, I'm a little slow, but, you know, when the light goes on, then I can see pretty clearly. And at one point, the light came on. I realized they, they're racists. Oh, and their white son is going to marry 
a black girl. Oh, and I'm performing the wedding. I mean, it all started coming together for me. And after a while, and then once I realized where they were going, and then they, they thought for sure they had you know, made their case, and I would be on their side, they both looked at me, at, because they had documentations from the foundation of our country, and all sorts of weird stuff that they extrapolated into what's right and what's wrong. And I looked at them, and I said, you're racist. The dad, the stepdad, the dude, he stood up, and stand stood right in front of my couch, and he said, you need to take that back, or I'm going to kick your butt. That's what he said to me. To the pastor. Well, he didn't know what kind of pastor I am. <laughs> this is what I said to him. I said, well, sir, I hope you packed your lunch, because it's going to be a long day for you. I think you ought to sit back down. And he sat back down. And I said, I think you guys are racist. I don't think this is sinful. You can't prove it biblically, which is my point today. There are all sorts of different questions that we could debate about. I don't want to get off into rabbit trails and off of the sidebars. I want to say, what's the Bible say? What's the main and the plain about these things? The main and plain is you cannot biblically support anti-interracial marriage. Ask Moses and his wife. His brother and sister didn't like it. God didn't seem to have a problem with it. Race is real. I think racism is three things. One, I think it's arrogant. You had nothing to do with your color. <laughs> Seriously. And I tell you, tell you what, if you've got an Ancestry.com and you go back far enough, you might find out some things about yourself that you don't like. You might be hating yourself and don't even know it. Two, it's fearful. It's really the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of the unknown. I go to the different cultures and I go around the world. And it's, it's weird. It's different. It's a little intimidating. But you, you know, we're not better than other cultures. We're not better than other people. We're different. Why? Because God has expressed himself in a, in, a, in a multiple display of colors. People are God's landscape. Which is why the last thing I want to say is racism is stupid. Because what we're really saying is, the way God is expressing his, himself through my skin color is superior to the way God is expressing himself through your skin color. So my expression of God is superior to your expression of God. That's just stupid, isn't it? Racism is really foolishness. But I also want to say this. On the other hand, we've got to stop calling everything racist. It has really gotten crazy. I mean, my kids... Can't, I've come home from school. They go to a public school, so you get all the PC language, the political correctness protocol stuff. And they're saying stuff that is so weird. My 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 14 year old daughter says to my to, says to my 11 year old son Sam. Uh, she she told him to stop doing something like stop bothering me or stop bothering Lily. And he said, "Stop being racist." I'm like what? She said, "Sam, that what? That has nothing to do with being racist." And then my daughter Lily happened to say, as we're sitting around the United Nations at my table, because we've got, you know, we got Vietnam represented, we got Africa represented, we got the South represented. <laughs> my wife and my mother-in-law from uh, Louisiana back there, go, go Tigers. 
And uh, so Lily just mentioned, you know, Josiah said, Josiah's skin is, is black. And, and uh, Sam says, stop being racist. That's racist. And then Ava said the same. That's racist. Like, no, 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 no. Children. Oh, my God. I can't believe I have to teach you guys this. It's not racist to describe the color of somebody's skin. It's just a fact. I remember a girl who used to be in the worship team when I was leading the worship team at a previous church. She was black. I'm white. And she told me I was racist. I was like, what? What? No, I'm not racist. She goes, yes, you're, yeah, you're racist. I thought, no. I, I said, I, I, don't, I don't see color. She said, that's a racist statement. I said, oh. I said, well, I, but I have black friends. That's a racist statement. I thought, so then I pulled out the big guns on her. I thought, for sure, she, I'll prove that I'm not a racist. I said, I dated a black girl in high school. That's racist. I thought, I don't know what to do with you right now. I don't know how to have a conversation. You know, it can really, it can really be taken to extremes. So we have to get clear on what's real and what's not. I want to say it very clearly today, staying on the main and plain. God does not care about the color of your skin. He cares about the condition of your heart. The Bible says this, For God, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at, say it out loud, the heart. It's imperative that we take every individual on their own merits. Psalm 32:15 says he fashions their hearts individually. He considers all of their works. Now, if you're in here today and you are a racist, you're going to be very uncomfortable in heaven. Look at the Bible says as John looks into the future where we're all headed if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. Revelation 7, 9 and 10 says this. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from, say it out loud, every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed with white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar. Say it out loud. Salvation comes. Come on, let's, we're going to have like a, a warm-up session because we're going to do this later. Let's, let's warm up right now. Ready? Say it out loud. Salvation comes from our God who sits upon the throne and the Lamb. See, everybody's looking at the Lamb. That's how we need to be living life. Let's look at the Lamb and love God and love our neighbor as ourself. What does Paul say about this? If you're a Christian, there is no place for racism in our hearts. Jesus said they would know us by our love. Look what Paul says about the Christian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. Like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, black or white, yellow or green. It doesn't mean you're not these things. You don't stop being male or female or Jew or Gentile. What it means is these things don't divide us anymore. For you are all, what? One in Christ Jesus. So number one, regarding race, we need to respect the individual. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Number two, we need to respect authority. This is the second foundational building block. 
We must start here. Here, we, we can deal with injustices and abuses of authority as we go. But the answer to a handful of, whether it's um, police officers or military, who misuse and abuse their authority, the answer is not anarchy, rebellion, and burning down cities. This is not Jesus. We must begin not only with respecting the individual, but we must respect authority. Let's go to Romans chapter 13, and let's see what the Bible says about Jesus' perspective on authority. That's in the New Testament, right? Romans chapter 13, starting with verse 1, it says this. Let every soul, we read this out loud with me. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be afraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Now, um... Read verse 4 with me. Look at this. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. It wasn't up there because I had a slide in between. Okay. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister. To execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath's sake, but also for conscience sake. Now you can hit the other slide. God calls police officers and soldiers his servants, his ministers. I don't believe in imperialism. I don't personally think we ought to be out taking other people's territory, but I do believe in the Department of Defense. The purpose for laws is to have peace in a society. That's why police officers are called peace officers or officers of the peace, to keep the peace. Without laws and without enforcers of laws, we will absolutely have anarchy. What is their job? To reward good and to punish evil. They protect society from individuals and groups who want to bring harm to innocent citizens. Do some of them behave inappropriately? Yes, they do. And we need to bring justice swiftly for those who misuse their power. But I think it is a shame the way that some individuals are using the misuse of some power to stir up hatred and disrespect and dishonor to police officers. Just this week in going through Arby's, this police officer comes through in his squad car into the drive-thru and the person at the window said, we don't serve your kind here. 
So one of the other employees grabbed and pulled him away from the window and gave the officer his food. But see, this, this is the kind of rhetoric that is beginning to spread across our nation. And it is satanic. Satan is the one that is behind this, trying to divide us and destroy us and, ca- and help us to kill ourselves. What about the abuse of power? It is a problem and God hates it. But it's not only in law enforcement, it's wherever power, wherever one has power over another individual or a group. In fact, it can be found in every mountain of society. You can be found in education where people are intimidated to purport what they believe in some academic environments in oppression. And you can lose your job if you actually say what you believe. That's oppression. That's a misuse of authority. It's the same way in a home where there is a, 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 a exercise of oppression and authority where some wives who are, are uh, in a harmful uh, hurtful, dangerous situation, and the children, and they can't seem to escape that environment. You can find it in church with a, a, a misuse of authority. You can find it in business. You find it in government. You find it in, in the media where there's a mischaracterization and a shaping of the culture and oppressing certain individuals. Oppression and the misuse of justice is found everywhere. And wherever we find it, we need to make it right. But here's the truth. It's not going to go away until Jesus returns. It's always going to be here. So without those who enforce the law, we will have anarchy and total chaos. So let me ask, you might ask this. So should we be everywhere we are switching to the military? Should we be everywhere in the world where we are? I have no idea. I'm not part of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I mean, I have no idea. What I am establishing is that sometimes war is necessary. Unless we want the Hitlers of the world and ISIS coming to our doorstep, which is no longer an extreme idea. We don't ever again want to be in Churchill's position where it's beyond hope before the pacifiers finally let him lead. I mean, for those that say you're against war at all costs. See, you don't say that if somebody kicks in your front door. And want to hurt your spouse and your children. You'll smack them in the mouth. So why, So uh, you know somebody you know, flew some planes into our buildings, right? What are we supposed to do? Now, where should we be? How should we be handling it? I don't know. What I do know is the soldiers that you know and come by are not the ones making the decisions. The ones in our congregations are not the ones making the decisions. They are risking their lives to save ours. So what I want to say to you is, if you're against war at all costs, the next soldier that you run across, thank him or her for risking their life so that you have the freedom to tell them you don't appreciate what they are doing. But in this house, we appreciate the military. And we appreciate law officers. In fact, we're starting a ministry right now called uh, an outreach to military, military outreach. I'm going to ask Kyle, who uh, we're going to ordain soon, and he is going to go into uh, the chaplaincy in the military. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, Jeff Forsman, who just left for a five-month deployment on the USS Ronald Reagan, he and I have been emailing back and forth, he launched a ministry uh, an outreach to the military, and now he's gone, and now you're taking the helm. And so um, let's welcome Kyle as he tells us what we're going to do for military families in our church.
just about. It's complicated. They don't have these in the military. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's beyond my pay grade. So uh, how many of you love our military here in San Diego? Right on. Are you in the right place for it? (laughs) And uh, how many of you know somebody or um, you are somebody who has been deployed overseas or has been deployed to combat? All right. So there's a lot of you. So you probably have some some experience with the kinds of things they go through. Right. And uh, as you know, we got a couple of guys deployed from our house right now. And that's really what uh, launched this ministry is we want to be able to take care of those guys. Yeah. You know, as we're talking about supporting the military, you know, supporting our troops, uh, we have our own. You know, we have troops from our own house. And so we want to be able to look out for them. Um, it's really, you know, being overseas, being deployed can be one of the most challenging, vulnerable times in a person's life, mm-hmm. in, a, in a soldier or a sailor's life. Um, other branch but uh you know what we want to do is we want to stand in the gap for them and provide what needs they have um so we have kind of a i've outlined what i what i feel would would be the fourfold purpose of our of our ministry here and uh that's military outreach is what we're calling the the ministry and uh we're commissioning what i'm calling operation care and uh, like every good thing in the military Care is an acronym. So, <laughs> uh, so with that, what we want to do is want to our, our purpose is to really help stay connected, help the soldiers, help the sailors stay connected with their family, with the church, with friends, um, with everyone that they're not able to, you know, with some without some help, and provide them with hope and encouragement, you know, as they're going through really a challenging time, being away from everything that they know. And as Jeff pointed out, too, that there are some things that they don't have access to, just simple basic things, you know. Sometimes uh, they can't even get socks or underwear if they're out on the, on the ship. They can't get good coffee, you know, sometimes maybe if they're in Guam, for example. Um, that's where Andrew that's not oversee is. That's not, that? that's not politically correct. You can't say Guam doesn't have a good coffee. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Puerto Rico, you know, that would be good. <laughs> hey, we're safe. Go ahead. So, okay, great. Thank you for that. Just can't do it. So, what's that? Okay, well, see, I have no idea. And that's the whole point, is we want to be in contact with the families, we want to be in contact with the, with the actual, you know, service members so we know what they need, you know, because I haven't been to Guam. Um, I have been overseas. But, you know, I know that there are things that we need, you know, that they need and, and we can't, they can't necessarily get. So, with that, uh, the operation... Care is designed to. We're going to be sending out care packages, and it's designed to meet four different needs. And the four, the first one is is to connect with with the sea conveniently, to connect them, uh, service members who are overseas or deployed, with their family members, with their church. And so what I'm doing is I'm reaching out to the members that are over there. So right now we've got Andrew Overson, who's in Guam, and I've been in contact with him, and I know some of his prayer needs. And I'm learning some of his needs as I connect with his family, too. And I'm also going to, you know, be in, in touch with them to let them know what I've been communicating with them so that they know he's being taken care of, you know, that we're watching out for him and that uh, the needs that he has, we're aware of and we're, we're striving to meet them. And just to, you know, to open the lines of communication and keep that um, connection so that they can be encouraged themselves. So that's what I want to do. I want to reach out to families. If you have something you want to communicate, let me know. You know, I have, his, I have uh, their contact information. 
uh, that would be Andrews and Jeff Forsman's. And I'd love to put you in touch with them, or you know, you can go through me, whatever, you know, however you want to do that. But uh, I would love to to help us connect with them. The other, the next part is advocate. You know, we have the Holy Spirit who is our advocate. He intercedes for us, and that's what we want to do for them: is, is be an advocate, be a prayer warrior, be an inter- intercessor for them. Because really, that's that is the most important thing we can do. Okay. You now, what is God doing? And uh, that's where we step in. And I'm going to be. Uh, I've already got these, uh, these little dog tags printed that they'll be here probably next week um, that I'm calling prayer tags and I'll sell them to you for a few bucks. I'm not making any profit. That's just the cost of them. But the idea with them is to remind you, uh, if you want to be part of it, you know, to carry them with you and you can even wear them, they're a necklace, and uh, to remind you to pray. That is and, very cool. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the whole point, you know, is we want to be doing it consistently. So they're yeah. dog tags, but yeah. they're, what they're are they going to say? Are they going to say something on them? Like yeah, tag? I've got a message on them. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it just says uh, GPC, Military Outreach, um, Operation Care, and then it says Ephesians 6.18, which well is done. pray for the Lord's saints always. And so, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's our part, um, just to help remind you. Then there's R, which is resource, so care packages, helping provide them with things they need. And we'll, you know, what, I'll, what I'm going to do is put the, I've already put a, um, a clipboard out there, a little sign-up sheet, and you can uh, you can go back there and sign up. And I've marked in handwriting, prayer or donation, because I forgot about that part when I was printing it. So uh, you can tell me what you want to be a part of, and then I'll reach out to anyone who signs up, and I will tell you what our needs are, and we'll help assemble those packages. The last one is E for encourage, and you know with uh, with things like notes and letters and photos and cards and and stories. Uh, and news, even news about home, those help to really encourage guys and just really uh, provide hope. And gals. And guys, and gals, yeah, sorry. I'm just thinking of the two guys we have out there right now. So but Cecilia Riley is going to be leaving for right. nine months yeah. to Cuba and uh, real soon. So That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so, so we really want to just be an encouragement and source of hope um, to help sustain that for them, help sustain them. You know? And so that's what we're doing, and uh, – I feel like one of our, our mission verses is uh, going to be Psalm 512, which says, you know, you establish the righteous, you surround them with your favors with a shield. Yes. And if you think about the, our service members being so vulnerable out there, we want to surround them with a shield to protect them from things that are going to get in, you know, in the way of hope or connecting them. That's why we have connecting, advocating, resourcing them and encouraging them to shield them from that. Know, from anything that's going to separate them from, well, nothing's going to separate them from the love of God, but separate them from the assurance of that, you know. Yeah. And so the last thing I want to mention is as part of advocating and encouraging, uh, I'd like to call Bob Mester up here to talk about another ministry that we have, which is separate from the house, but I'm involved in as well. And that's the, uh, the Marine Corps chapel ministry that we do down at Camp Pendleton and where we pray and encourage and counsel and it's been an awesome opportunity so far for me to be involved with. But Bob's been a veteran for years. So I really want you to hear from his experience because he's got the inside scoop. Let's so welcome please. Bob. Thank you, Bob. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, God is so good. How um, I've been involved in this ministry probably, I don't know, eight, ten years, something like that, a long time. And just uh, it's a ministry that goes out to Camp Pendleton to work with recruits and kind of help support the chaplain every once a month. And we get up early in the morning and we go 
out there, and we're here about 6.45, and we uh, just kind of hang out with the guys. It's, you know, it's a prayer ministry mostly, and so we go there, and there, we get there slightly before the service starts, and we just kind of walk around and hang out with the guys, see what, you know, how they're doing. They're all recruits, you know, it's a very stressful time. I know we have so many people here have been in. You remember what recruit, you know, going through recruit training is like. It's really stressful. So some of those guys react all sorts of different ways. So at any rate, we uh, hang out with them. And then during the service, uh, there's always an altar call. Uh, and the uh, chaplain asks us to come forward uh, to the altar to pray with these guys. And so we get an opportunity to pray for, oh, my gosh, maybe one guy or 20 guys. You just never know. And so that's kind of what the ministry is. And so it's just so exciting in the last uh, two weeks that the Navigator staff asked that our church participate in a greater way and that we might be uh, consider launching a team. And so they asked Kyle and I to, uh, to look at doing that. And so, Kyle, what, what is your experience? I want to just ask you, what, what's your experience? You've been a few times. And what, just uh, share a little bit about just the process. Sure. Yeah, I'm a novice. I mean, I'm, I'm like a private there, you know, right now. So <laughs> this guy is like a like – a, there you go. All right. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, my first time there, it was, it was really cool. I mean, Bob's already kind of told me about it, but, you, you know, you go there and these guys are uh, getting super hyped up, shouting kill every time they, you know, <laughs> they ask for uh, an amen, you know, to the pastor saying something uh, that they're all convicted about. Then they say, give them one, kill, you know. I mean, it's the greatest thing ever. Like, you don't get that in any other, any other church service. So. <laughs> If you're looking for a little bit of, uh, a little bit of, you know, yeah, a lot of hoorahs. If you're looking for a little blood, you know, your blood pumping, uh, you know, that's one reason to join us. But uh, no, it was just, um, it was just an amazing experience, you know, from the first, the first time I went there, is being able to um, go and and talk with these guys personally, and and the thing is, and pray and pray for them. And the thing is, it's you know, it's like if you want to encourage guys. And gals, it's only guys here at this at this thing, so that's not sexist for me to say that. So uh, <laughs> politically incorrect. But uh, anyway, if you want to encourage these guys, you get to speak, you know, the the word of God. You get to speak the words of God in prayer to them and and speak encouragement to them. It's the coolest thing ever. And you know, they they uh, after the after the service, we get to line up like kind of like we do here. And wait for them to, to come to us, and they, they just come to us. I mean, there's so many needs, you know. And these guys, I mean, they're they're just they pour their hearts out. They're immediately transparent and vulnerable, and we get a chance to to speak to them, you know, and speak for them. Um, just you know, whatever God puts on our hearts. So if people want to be part of the military outreach, they can see you guys out back yeah. today. Yeah, right. Outstanding. Let me just one. Uh, one. Uh, it's only gonna be one Sunday a month. We need a few good men, you know. We, like to create a few, just a small team. So talk to Kyle Ryan. That's a good pitch. A few good men. Okay, so let me, uh, that was a very important uh, promotion for a great ministry that's critical to the house. Uh, Grant me another 10 minutes, if you would, so I can lay this in well. There are some, uh, there are some misnomers regarding how the Bible addresses killing. One is a complete misinterpretation of the law, thou shalt not kill. Jesus rightly um, 
interprets that as thou shalt not murder, which literally means thou shalt not take innocent life. Because of this mistranslation, we have police officers and soldiers who feel called by God to do what they do, and yet they live with a sense of shame that what they're doing is biblically wrong, and then add to that those who tell them that they are killers and warmongers. I remember being at a prayer breakfast once, and one of the pastors wanted to introduce me to a young soldier, and I walked over, and the soldier's in his beautiful white uniform, and he's just ready to go, and he's looking down at his tips. Now, you know when somebody's doing the tuck head that they've got shame. So I said, sir, uh, son, what's your name? And he told me. And I said, um, and then the, 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 my pastor friend told me his family is telling him that what he's doing is ungodly. He's a good Christian man. And they're telling him that thou shalt not kill. And so what he's doing is against God. And I said, young man, your family is wrong. Romans 13 says you are God's servant protecting the world from evil people. I said, you are in your calling, you're anointed, you're appointed, and you are the servant of God. You should have seen his shoulders go up and his neck, his chin rise. I added dignity to his calling. We cannot allow the dignity to soldiers and police officers to be stripped. I was up in Ramona just recently. I walked up to a police officer at a gas. He was pumping his gas. And I thought, just me walking up to him, he's not going to know what's coming his way because of the atmosphere in our country right now. I came walking up to him, and he saw me, and I could tell he was a little nervous. And I said, sir, I just want to thank you for protecting me and my family in this community, risking your life to do so. You can see the relief on him. And I said, what's happening to you in this nation is unrighteous. He said, man, it is getting really, really hard. This thing has got to be turned around. Over the years, I've had privilege of knowing many peace officers and military personnel. And the ones I've known are the most humble, servant-hearted people I've ever met. What do you think Jesus would say today to the police officers and the soldiers who have not abused or misused their authority? And are daily risking their lives to protect our lives, the lives we've declared are precious to God. What do you think Jesus would say to them today? Well done. My good and faithful servants. This one wife of a police officer said, now imagine living like this. Every time the phone rings. Could you imagine that, living that life? Every time the phone rings, I'm wondering if it's the phone call. I think we, uh, there's something popular that's done in Christendom, and that is separating the God of the Old Testament from the New Testament. I'm not really sure we can do that entirely. He's the same God dealing with the same people, dealing on the same earth, with the same conflicts until Jesus returns. In the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, he was known as uh, Jehovah Nisi, my banner in battle. When Moses would raise his hands, uh, the Israelites would defeat their enemy. When his hands would come down, the Israelites would lose. So Moses' hands going up and down was a partnership with God and one army overtaking another army. God was intimately involved in that battle. God coached David in military strategy, and he became the greatest military man in the Old Testament. God would raise up invading armies to attack his people when they would sin against him. And you say, that was Old Testament. Well, uh, I want you to jot this down. We don't have time to go to it. In the book of Luke, chapter 19, 41 through 44, Luke 19, 41 through 44, 
Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem saying, if you had known who I am, you would have received me. But because you haven't, um, your city is going to be overthrown. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem was wiped out. Jesus, in that passage, read it yourself, said, if you knew who I was, you would not be destroyed a few years from now. So Jesus knew that there was going to be an army that's coming in to take over Jerusalem because they rejected the Messiah. Sounds like God was involved. And then in Revelation chapter 19, I don't have time to read it. Revelation 19, 11 through 16, Jesus is riding a white horse with his armies behind him coming to have war. And that's the, that, that's the war of Armageddon. An actual physical war. It's not some mystical, spiritual, metaphorical thing. It's an actual war where Jesus is the captain. See, we know Jesus as the lamb. But do you also know that he is a lion? He's the captain of the armies of the heavens. I don't think you can, you can support pacifism in the New Testament. That's my personal opinion. You can send me your emails this week and... I'll politely respond with as much as I know and not go beyond that. But I don't think we can separate uh, the God of the Old Testament from the New Testament when it comes to the volatile nature of our planet and stopping evil from invading. So what do we do in the meantime? The third building block, I'm going to end with this. We need to reach the world with the gospel. The gospel is the answer. The gospel is reconciling God and man and man and man. That is the gospel. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the gospel. You're saying that sounds kind of Pollyanna, where it wasn't to Saul, who was a terrorist, who was murdering Christians like ISIS is doing. And the gospel changed him from Saul the terrorist to Paul the apostle. Come on, church. How powerful is the gospel? That's the answer to our crazy world. It's, it's so mixed up, and we think it's, that, that, you know, it's this country and that country and, and, and this skin color and that skin color. I like what I'm going to quote from somebody who's a profound theologian, the tight end of the New Orleans Saints, Benjamin Watson. This is what he recently posted on Facebook. Ultimately, the problem is not a skin problem. By the way, he's black. Ultimately, the problem is not a skin problem. It is a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover for our own sin. Sin is the reason we riot, loot, and burn. But I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through his son Jesus. And without it, a transformed heart and a mind. With it, a transformed heart and mind. One that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being. The cure for the Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and Eric Gardner tragedies and those that have happened since then is not education or exposure. It is the gospel. So finally, I'm encouraged. Not because our team is going to win anything this year. I'm sorry, that's not in there. I'm, I'm encouraged because the gospel gives mankind hope. Look at the difference. Look at the difference between Ferguson, Baltimore, and Charleston, South Carolina. If we want a sociological example of the power of the gospel rather than the race baiters. 
If you know about the African Methodist Episcopal Church in South Carolina where a white racist who also had mental problems went into a black church and killed nine that were in a Bible study, including the black pastor. They all gathered the Sunday after. The Reverend Norval Goff Sr., a presiding elder in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, did not call for leaders who have gone to every other city to stir up strife. He said to them, you are not welcome here. And he preached a rousing sermon on the next Sunday that said this, quote, I want you to just hear. I don't have these up there. I just want you to hear his, his messages. I want you to know because the doors of Mother Emmanuel, that church, are open. It sends a message to every demon in hell and on earth. Some wanted to divide the race, black and white and brown, but no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And Charleston will steeples dot the skyline it has earned the nickname Holy City. Worship normally contained within the church walls on that Sunday spilled into the streets. Large banners were hung from buildings near the Emmanuel Church. And one banner said this, Holy City, let us be an example of love that conquers evil. Hundreds of people, most of them white, gathered about a block from Emmanuel Church, organized by Awakened Church, an interdenominational congregation. They sang Amazing Grace and How Great They Are in the Streets. The Reverend Brandon Bowers, a white man who is the lead pastor of Awakened, said this, quote, As a pastor in this city, a husband and a father of two boys and two girls, my heart broke in grief and disbelief. What the enemy intended for evil, God is using for good. We are here to pray for the healing that needs to come. Right after him, Jeremiah Watkins, who is a black teaching pastor from Journey Church, followed him and said, What unites us is stronger than what divides us. To hatred, we say no, not today. To racism, we say no, not today. Oh, man, don't you wish our leadership would do this. To division, we say, no way, not today. To reconciliation, we say, yes. To loss of hope, we say, no way, not today. To racial war, we say, no way, not today. To racial fear, we say, no way, not today. Charleston, together, we say, no way, not today. Isn't that a great message? In the front pews of Emmanuel on that Sunday, Nikki Haley, the Indian-American Republican governor of this state, sat among Democrats, Representatives Maxine Waters of California, who is black, and Mayor Joseph P. Riley, Jr. of Charleston, who is white, and Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, who is black and a fellow Republican. In the back of the church, an unlikely pair sat next to each other, Rick Santorum, the conservative Catholic and Republican presidential hopeful, and DeRay McKeeson, a liberal activist who is black and gay. In the opening prayer, the Reverend John H. Gillison said that while people are still asking why, those of us who know Jesus can look through the window of our faith and see hope, we see light. The congregation gave the loudest, I'm coming to a close here, the, the congregation gave the loudest standing ovation of the morning after Mr. Goff thanked the law enforcement, particularly poignant at a time when the relationship between blacks and police remained strained nationwide. He said, a lot of folks expected us to do something strange and break out in a riot. Well, they just don't know us. We are people of faith. The promise of the gospel family of God 
is that this is all temporary. Wars and rumors of wars, riots, racism, injustice, oppression, hatred, it is never going to go away until Jesus comes back and gives us a new heaven and a new earth. In the meantime, we need to be the salt and light of the world. Here's where we're headed. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life today, you need to do that very thing. You need to do it right now in this place. You will never earn your way to heaven. World peace, as much as we desire it, desire the Bible says, it's never going to happen on this side of heaven. Because we are a fallen creation. Human beings are fallen. The earth has fallen. We're fighting for peace. We're praying for peace. We're extending olive branches for peace. We want to follow the example of them in South Carolina and try to bring peace to hurting situations. But ultimately, there will only be peace when the Prince of Peace himself, Jesus Christ, comes back to take us home and makes a new heaven and a new earth. And you can be part of that throng. All you have to do is pray a prayer this morning that says, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need my sins forgiven. I cannot earn my salvation So I'm coming to you and asking you to freely forgive me because of what you did for me on that cross. If you will pray that prayer, you will be part of this crowd that I'm about to read. This is the last chapter of the Bible, and it's in chapter 21, verse 1 through 5. Look at what John the Apostle saw, the closest disciple of Jesus, as Jesus opened his eyes and showed him our future. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I, this is Jesus talking, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. If you have racism in your heart today toward illegal immigrants, toward Hispanics, toward the black. If you find yourself feeling superior because you have a Ph.D. or a higher monetary value than the other. Drive a nicer car, have nicer clothes, whatever it might be. You've got to repent from that this morning and clean your heart. If they're good enough for Jesus, they ought to be good enough for us. And, and by the way, you're talking about yourself too because unless you have... Just raise your hands up for a second. Will you do that? Just raise your hands up like this, everybody. Just follow along, please. Okay. Do you see any light shafts coming through the palms of your hands? No. That means you're human and you just happen to be white, black, yellow, or green. What God cares about is the heart. Okay. If you did see a light shaft, it was a manifestation produced by Jesus. Okay. You're not the Messiah. You're not the Savior. If they're good enough for Jesus, they're good enough for us. 
So wherever you find that sense of superiority in your heart, you need to come to Jesus and say, wow, that's racism. Jesus, forgive me, and please purge it out of me. Because you can't build a bridge to someone that you think you're superior to. We are bridges drawing people to Jesus. If you have been oppressed, your job is forgiveness. You can't live a bitter person. You can't live free with bitterness in your heart. You can't play the victim. Jesus has made you a victor. Let's follow the example of South Carolina where they forgave and they reached out. And then finally, if you are a police officer or a military person in our church, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do protecting our lives. And we will not allow the shame of a few military personnel or a few officers to cast a shadow over you. We honor you in this house. Can we all stand this morning? The last uh, six weeks or so, five weeks, have been a little intense, but it's been fun. And I believe that we've, I believe we've heard I think the biggest message that we've heard over the last four or five weeks is how Jesus would respond to people on the other side of the cultural wall, the other side of the cultural belief system. And that's the point, is drawing people to Jesus. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus Christ your Savior, I would love to meet you right down here. I want to pray with you so you can give your life to Jesus and you become a son or a daughter of God. For the rest... Commit to being the salt and light of the world. Commit to being a lover. Commit to being gentle and kind and respectful to those who believe differently than you. Because remember, every word you speak, every look of your face, every action you take is going to repel somebody farther away from Jesus or draw them closer to him. And that's the point. In Jesus' name. God bless you, church. See you at my house tomorrow.
yelled at him. He should. Eric. Come on, man. Come on, let's go. I'll play bass. Be my everything. Be my everything. It's in D. God in my laughing, there in my weeping. 
ಶ್ರೀ 